Section 1 of Despoilers of the Golden Empire by David Gordon. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording is by Stephen Seitel. Despoilers of the Golden Empire by David Gordon. Section 1. Chapter 1 in the seven centuries that had elapsed since the second empire had been founded on the shattered remains of the first the nobles of the imperium had come slowly to realize that the empire was not to be judged by the examples of its predecessor the first empire had conquered most of the known universe by political intrigue and sheer military strength it had fallen because that same propensity for political intrigue had gained over every other strength of the empire and the various branches and sectors of the first empire had begun to use it one against the other the second empire was politically unlike the first it tried to balance a centralized government against the autonomic governments of the various sectors and had almost succeeded in doing so but no matter how governed there are certain essentials which are needed by any governmental organization. Without power, neither civilization nor empire could hold itself together, and his universal majesty, the Emperor Karl, well knew it. And power was linked solidly to one element, one metal, without which civilization would collapse as surely as if it had been blasted out of existence. Without the power metal, no ship could move or even be built without it industry would come to a standstill in ancient times even as far back as the early greek and roman civilizations the metal had been known but it had been used for the most part as decoration and in the manufacture of jewelry later it had been coined as money it had always been relatively rare but now weight for weight atom for atom it was the most valuable element on earth indeed the most valuable in the known universe that metal was element number seventy nine gold to the collective mind of the empire gold was the prime object in any kind of mining exploration the idea of drilling for petroleum even if it had been readily available or of mining coal or uranium would have been dismissed as impracticable and even worse than useless throughout the empire research laboratories worked tirelessly at the problem of transmuting commoner elements into gold 197 but thus far none of the processes was commercially feasible there was still after thousands of years only one way to get the power metal extract it from the ground so it was that across the great gulf between the worlds ship after ship moved in search of the metal that would hold the far-flung colonies of the empire together every adventurer who could manage to get aboard was glad to be cooped up on a ship during the long months it took to cross the empty expanses was glad to endure the hardships on alien terrain on the chance that his efforts might pay off a thousand or ten thousand fold of these men a mere handful were successful and of these one or two stand well above the rest and for sheer determination drive and courage for the will to push on towards his goal no matter what the odds a certain commander frank had them all beat 
Chapter 2. Before you can get a picture of the commander, that is, as far as his personality goes, you have to get a picture of the man physically. He was enough taller than the average man to make him stand out in a crowd, and he had broad shoulders and a narrow waist to match. He wasn't heavy. His was the hard, tough, wire-like strength of a steel cable. The planes of his tanned face showed that he feared neither exposure to the elements nor exposure to violence. It was seamed with fine wrinkles and the thin white lines that betray scar tissue. His mouth was heavy-lipped, but firm, and the lines around it showed that he was unused to smiling. The commander could laugh, and often did, a sort of roaring explosion that burst forth suddenly whenever something struck him as particularly uproarious. But he seldom just smiled. Commander Frank rarely went halfway in anything. His eyes, like his hair, were a deep brown, almost black, and they were set well back beneath heavy brows that tended to frown most of the time. Primarily, he was a military man. He had no particular flair for science, and though he had a firm and deep-seated grasp of the essential philosophy of the Universal Assembly, he had no inclination towards the kind of life necessarily led by those who would become higher officers of the Assembly. It was enough that the assembly was behind him. It was enough to know that he was a member of the only race in the known universe which had a working knowledge of the essential, basic truth of the cosmos. With a weapon like that, even an ordinary soldier had little to fear, and Commander Frank was far from being an ordinary soldier. He had spent nearly forty of his sixty years of life as an explorer-soldier for the emperor, and during that time he'd kept his eyes open for opportunity. Every time his ship had landed, he'd watched and listened and collected data. And now he knew. If his data were correct, and he was certain that they were, he had found his strike. All he needed was the men to take it. Chapter 3 The expedition had been poorly outfitted and undermanned from the beginning. The commander had been short of money at the outset, having spent almost all he could raise on his own, plus nearly everything he could beg or borrow on his first two probing expeditions, neither of which had shown any real profit. But they had shown promise. The alien population of the target which the commander had selected as his personal claim wore gold as ornaments, but didn't seem to think it was much above copper in value, and hadn't even progressed to the point of using it as coinage. From the second probing expedition, he had brought back two of the odd-looking aliens and enough gold to show that there must be more where that came from. The old hopeful statement, Thar's gold and them thar hills, should have brought the commander more backing than he got, considering the Empire's need of it and the commander's evidence that it was available. But people are always more ready to bet on a sure thing than to indulge in speculation. Ten years before, a strike had been made in a sector quite distant from the commander's own find, and most of the richer nobles of the empire preferred to back an established source of the metal than to sink money into what might turn out to be the pursuit of a wild goose. Commander Frank, therefore, could only recruit men who were willing to take a chance, who were willing to risk anything, even their lives, against tremendously long odds. And even if they succeeded, the imperial government would take 20% of the gross without so much as a buyer leave. 
There was no other market for the metal except back home, so the tax could not be avoided. Gold was no good whatsoever in the uncharted wilds of the alien world. Because of his lack of funds, the commander's expedition was not only dangerously undermanned, but illegally so. It was only by means of out-and-out -out trickery that he managed to evade the official inspection and leave fort with too few men and too little equipment. There wasn't a scientist worthy of the name in the whole outfit, unless you called the navigator Captain Bartholomew an astronomer, which is certainly begging the question. There was no anthropologist on board to study the semi-barbaric civilization of the natives. There was no biologist to study the alien flora and fauna. The closest thing the commander had to physicists were engineers who could take care of the ship itself. Specialist technicians, nothing more. There was no need for armament specialists. Each and every man was a soldier and, as far as his own weapons went, an ordnance expert. As far as Commander Frank was concerned, that was enough. It had to be. Mining equipment? He took nothing but the simplest testing apparatus. How then did he intend to get the metal that the Empire was screaming for? The commander had an answer for that, too, and it was as simple as it was economical. The natives would get it for him. They used gold for ornaments, therefore they knew where the gold could be found, and therefore they would bloody well dig it out for Commander Frank. Chapter 4 Due to atmospheric disturbances, the ship's landing was several hundred miles from the point the commander had originally picked for the deparkation of his troops. That meant a long, forced march along the coast and then inland. But there was no help for it. The ship simply wasn't built for atmospheric navigation. That didn't deter the commander any. The orders rang through the ship. All troops and carriers prepare for landing. Half an hour later, they were assembled outside the ship, fully armed and armored, and with full field gear. The sun, a yellow G.O. star, hung hotly just above the towering mountains to the east. The alien air smelled odd in the men's nostrils, and the weird foliage seemed to rustle menacingly. In the distance, the shrieks of alien fauna occasionally echoed through the air. A hundred and eighty-odd men and some thirty carriers stood under the tropic blaze for forty-five minutes while the commander checked over their equipment with minute precision. Nothing faulty or sloppy was going into that jungle with him if he could prevent it. When his hard eyes had inspected every bit of equipment, when he had either passed or ordered changes in the manner of its carrying or its condition, when he was fully satisfied that every weapon was in order, then, and only then, did he turn his attention to the men themselves. He climbed atop a little hillock and surveyed them carefully, letting his penetrating gaze pass over each man in turn. He stood there, his fists on his hips, with the sunlight gleaming from his burnished armor for nearly a full minute before he spoke. Then his powerful voice rang out over the assembled adventurers. My comrades at arms, we have before us a world that is ours for the taking. It contains more riches than any man on earth ever dreamed existed, and those riches too are ours for the taking. It isn't going to be a picnic, and we all knew that when we came. There are dangers on every side, from the natives, from the animals and plants, and from the climate. 
but there is not one of these that cannot be overcome by the onslaught of brave courageous and determined men ahead of us we will find the four horsemen of the apocalypse arrayed against our coming famine pestilence war and death each and all of these we must meet and conquer as brave men would for at their end we will find wealth and glory a cheer filled the air startling the animals in the forest into momentary silence the commander stilled it instantly with a raised hand some of you know this country from our previous expeditions together most of you will find it utterly strange and not one of you knows it as well as i do in order to survive you must and will follow my orders to the letter and beyond first as to your weapons we don't have an unlimited supply of charges for them so there will be no firing of any power weapons unless absolutely necessary you have your swords and your pikes use them several of the men unconsciously gripped the hafts of the long steel blades at their sides as he spoke the words but their eyes never left the commanding figure on the hummock as for food he continued we'll live off the land you'll find that most of the animals are edible but stay away from the plants unless i give the okay we have a long way to go but by heaven i'm going to get us there alive are you with me a hearty cheer rang from the throats of the men they shouted the commander's name with enthusiasm all right he bellowed there is one more thing anyone who wants to stay with the ship can do so anyone who feels too ill to make it should consider it his duty to stay behind because sick men will simply hold us up and weaken us more than if they'd been left behind remember we're not going to turn back as a body and an individual would never make it alone he paused well not a man moved the commander grinned not with humor but with satisfaction all right then let's move out end of section one